Let's go for Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 10. If you're physically able, will you stand with me as we read God's Word? In reverence and respect for it. Apostle Paul writing to the Philippian church, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we love you and we worship you and we pray that you'll break up the fallow ground of our hearts and that you will till up the soil and turn it a few times so that we're ready to receive your implanted word. We've heard it here, and I pray that we'll be faithful to everything that uh, uh, is said here, that you would say it rather than me, and that you would speak to us because you have spoken through your word. But God, we've got the word of God, and this morning we want a word from God, a fresh, cooked-up word from the kitchen of heaven to speak to our moment, our time, where we are right now. We want rhema. We're asking for that, Lord, and we know that your word transforms because it's alive. Never, never ceases to amaze me. I could read the same passage over and over again for years, and then one day, all of a sudden, something fresh and new, or something that you just didn't see before, just leaps out the page at you because your word is alive. We're thankful for that because we serve a living God, and empowered by your Holy Spirit, it plants down in the life of a believer and brings fruit. And this is what we ask for, fruitful lives fruit that remains, whereby you're glorified. So we love you, Lord, and we worship you and praise you, knowing that we can lay claim on uh, the fact that we love you simply because you first loved us. Thank you, Jesus. Use this time. Help us not to be informed. Help us to be transformed for your glory. In the sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pick it up on last week. We were looking at this, uh, and just by way of review, a reminder that Paul founded the church in Philippi some ten years before the letter was written. He went on from Philippi to Macedonia, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth. And he received financial support from the church at Philippi. And they were generous and they gave. And now they have this opportunity to give again. And they did. They sent the uh, gift to them by way of Epaphroditus. Paul's in some kind of distress. We don't know what that was. And we don't know why they lacked opportunity previous to this, but the text says they lacked opportunity, but now the opportunity's come up and they've seized it. 
We talked about last week that the Apostle Paul celebrated his contentment. And we talked about the fact that picking up from verse 11, contentment is learned behavior. It's not something we come out of the womb with. As a matter of fact, we come out of the womb for a lifetime full of discontentment. And we try our best to satisfy our needs any and every way except looking to the Lord, the very one through whom he willed and purposed to satisfy them. That the flesh is never satisfied, the lust of the flesh and the eyes of the boastful pride of life, the whole thing, whole thing is upheld by this. And that is, apart from Christ, nothing's ever enough. That's throughout the Bible we're taught that. And throughout human experience, we get to see it. And I don't know how many more people have got to die or drug overdose or how many more famous people with all the money you could imagine, more money than you could put in two piles, ends tragically, just like it just happened recently with Whitney Houston, 48 years old, and probably more than likely died of an overdose of drugs. Millions of dollars at her disposal, and she squandered probably most of that with a wrecked marriage and just a testimony of what is... Glaring in front of us, and that is, when the world feeds your appetite, you'll never, ever, ever, ever be satisfied. The flesh is never satisfied. So contentment is learned behavior. It comes through the new birth. The Apostle Paul also celebrated the fact that what he learned about contentment is, is that contentment is realized, enjoyed, and fulfilled independent of your circumstances. The way we work is, is that our circumstances... Uh, we think, in our carnal minds, have everything to do with our contentment. If things are going well, we're content. If things are not going well, we're discontent. The biblical truth is that the miracle of the new birth and the dwelling power of the Holy Spirit, and we begin to understand and know and believe that He's the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He's the one who has words of life, that contentment has nothing to do with your circumstances. As a matter of fact, when it's enjoyed and when it's realized and when it's real and when it's brought home, through our relationship with Jesus Christ, it is best experienced in circumstances in which you'd at least expect to enjoy it. That in the circumstances in which there's the least amount of contentment you would think, then we experience the most when the source of your contentment is unchanging. That's the key. See, the bottom line is this. The Apostle Paul gave us a secret. It's no secret because it's out now. And that is, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. See, if your epicenter and your source and your motivation and your life is Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God, in God, when Christ who is our life is revealed, you will also be revealed with Him in glory. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, and much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. When Jesus, when He becomes your life, when you realize He's your life, then He's your source of contentment. And if your source of contentment is predicated upon something that never changes, then it's never threatened. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's perfect. If he were to change, he'd become imperfect. And we need to latch on to what is unchanging rather than being motivated and fearful of that which changes all the time. We need to understand that everything that's going on in the world right now is by divine design. Tyrants, despots, and evil rulers and corrupt politicians are all being used ultimately through the sovereign hand of God to accomplish His purposes and they don't even know it. All rule and authority exists at His discretion. Riches are distributed at His discretion. If an evil person amasses riches, it's because God willed it to be so. 
And he uses that ultimately to accomplish his purposes. And this is all coming to an end. This world is coming to an end. The form and fashion of this world is coming to an end. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth entered in. And Jesus is going to sit on his throne where he's rightful. That's he's the rightful heir. And we will serve him forever. Hallelujah! We need to feed on his faithfulness. And the Apostle Paul fed on that. Psalm 37, one of the greatest psalms in all the Bible says, Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. It means that the desire of your heart, once you delight yourself in Him, will be Him. Do not fret when wicked schemes are brought to pass. Don't fret. It only causes harm. Trust in the Lord. Dwell in the land. Feed on His faithfulness. Sucker from Him. Draw from Him. Don't listen to the world and its messages and all the voices that compete with your for your attention and for mine. Listen to His. So contentment is learned behavior. Contentment is realized and enjoyed and celebrated and experienced independent of circumstances. And the source of it is Jesus. And He uses our weak moments to give us the opportunity to trust Him in areas where we know we're weak. God is attracted to weakness. And then we begin to draw upon His strength. We begin to draw upon His enablement. We begin to build that relationship. And the Apostle Paul said, that's where I pivot from. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You take away everything I've got, I've still got Him. No matter what is threatened. No matter whether or not your financial investments are threatened. I lost almost all of my retirement uh, because I was in the banking business. And most of my retirement, or a good bit of it, was in a bank that's not even around anymore. Wachovia was absorbed and given away to Wells Fargo. And all of our, almost all of our income, I mean almost all of our retirement went away like that. And if that were the source of supply and, and epicenter of my satisfaction, I'd be suicidal right now. But I can tell you this right now. My God reigns. And He will supply every need that we have according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Man, if I tell you right now, if our eggs are in that basket, then you are subject to Wall Street and its whims. If your eggs are all put in the basket of your relationship with Jesus Christ, then your contentment is independent of what Wall Street ever does. And the Dow Jones Industrial does not bother you. So somebody whose epicenter is their relationship with Jesus Somebody who nurtures and takes care of that relationship. Talks to him and lets him talk back. Somebody who's motivated and drawn to the Savior because of the goodness of God. Somebody who loves him because they realize how much he loves them. And takes the time to nurture and develop that relationship. That becomes your center. That becomes your ground. That becomes your stability. That becomes your anchor. And no one can threaten that. The Apostle Paul learned that. And he didn't learn that through easy circumstances either. He learned that through incredible difficulties. If he went to, you've heard it said before, but when he went to a new town, the first thing he checked out was the jail, because he was probably headed there. He was well acquainted with the nastiest, filthiest places on planet Earth, and he celebrated God in the midst of it. That's how the Philippian church, in essence, was born. He was in jail in stocks, and he, what is he doing? Instead of being there, woe is me. I wonder what's happening to my portfolio and my investments. He's over there singing and shouting, and God shakes that jail and saves the Philippian jailer, grants repentance and belief to the Philippian jailer, and emerges there a believer, and his whole household is saved, and they baptize every last one of them, and God sets them free from the prison because he was not in prison because prison was not in him. 
And so this guy whose contentment is independent of his circumstances, who realizes that in weakness, that's where God's made strong. We talked about last week. That's the summary of last week. He comes into 14 and he says, Nevertheless, you've done well that you've shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. They were supportive of his ministry. I would think that as far as vetting is concerned, supporting financially the Apostle Paul's ministry was a good idea. God was using him and the other apostles to teach the foundational truth upon which the church is built. He wrote 13, arguably 14 books of the 27 books of the New Testament. And he was a missionary to the Gentiles. And we here today are saved and are beneficiaries of the relationship and the ministry of the Apostle Paul as Christ worked through him to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Big deal. I support that one. I'd be in on that. And they got in on it. But nobody shared. He didn't ask for the money. They just gave it. God motivated them because they'd first given themselves to the Lord. Here's what we want to get to. It said, for even in Thessalonica, got in lots of trouble in Thessalonica. Lots of trouble. You sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now here it is. Not that I speak, not that I seek the need, but look at this amazing principle right here. He said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. That word fruit can be translated profit. I celebrate what's going to be to your profit for eternity. See, if your riches are in earth, they're constantly threatened. But if our riches are in heaven, they're never threatened. They're very much secure. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about in his writings about being content. In 1 Timothy 6, 8, it says, In having food and clothing... With food and clothing, with these we shall be content. He said in First Timothy six six that godliness with contentment is a source of great gain. He said in Hebrews thirteen five, let your character. This is the amplified version. Let your character or moral disposition be free from love of money, including greed, avarice lust and craving for earthly possessions and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have for he God himself has said I will not in any way fail you nor give you up nor leave you without support I will not I will not I will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake you nor let down my or relax my hold upon you assuredly not What's he saying? Because I've said five times, I'll never leave you and forsake you, you can be content. Contentment is your right. You have permission from God, as of right now, as of today, as of 1140 on Sunday morning, February the 8th, 19th of 2012, you have permission from heaven to be content. Go! As of right now. And the reason you can have that grace and that grace has been afforded to you is because Christ is your life. And God tabernacles inside the believer now. See, we confuse things. And the text and the message of this text is this. Most often we, uh, we equate, we make equal 
we say that these are one of the same. That's what we say. Of how much money you have as to whether or not how content you are. That those have a direct relationship. The more money you have, the more content you are. The less money you have, the less content you are. And I don't know how many times that's got to be proven that's not true. But that's not true. But you know what? We sometimes act like we're going to be the exception and we're going to prove that wrong. We might not say that because they kick you, you know, people at church are going to look at you and go, do what? But in your actions and the way you accrue wealth and the way you go after it and the investment you make in your endeavors to the expense of your relationship with the Lord communicates that operationally you believe that. Philosophically you don't believe it, but operationally you do. I'll be the exception. I'll be the exception. And my contentment as a direct relationship with, with the amount of money or my net worth, if that goes down, my contentment goes down, and vice versa. And the Apostle Paul saying that is absolutely not true. And this contented man did this and said this, and we'll see it in Scripture, and we'll see example in Scripture over it, and an example in this fellowship to say this. God never, not one time in the Scripture, discourages radical, sacrificial giving. Not one time. And look for His motivation. Here it is right here. Not that I seek the gift. I'm not looking for the financial provision. I'm already content. I'm all, I'm all right. I celebrate the gift because I know I've seen enough of God. I've been to the third heaven. He gave me a vision of it all. And I know this. Man, something is accruing for you that you cannot even fathom. And would I discourage you from radical giving? Absolutely not. Would I encourage you to radically give if I love you? Absolutely. Boy, I tell you right now, one of the greatest examples of this in all of Scripture is found in Mark chapter 12. Let's look at it. Turn with me and we'll look at it just right quick like. Mark chapter 12 verse 41. This business about the gospel. How much is enough? We've studied this before. And we're going to look at it just quickly here this morning. And just something really amazing. And it's the same spirit. The Holy Spirit inside Paul motivated him to celebrate the sacrificial giving of the Philippian church because of what it was going to mean for them for eternity. They're storing up riches in heaven. Okay, so it's Jesus who lives inside him that would celebrate that anyway. The Apostle Paul, on his own, couldn't care less. But because God had such a way with this man, and because he was at a level of surrender that he was at, he's writing Holy Scripture, and Jesus himself is speaking to that church and saying this, I'm celebrating. Man, If you could you imagine? I go to prepare a place for you. And where I am, there you'll be also. And I will blow your mind at what I've got ready for you. Because of my grace and mercy. Send it on. Let it accrue up there. And not waste down here. Let's be a part of this grand enterprise called the gospel. And building the kingdom. Let's radically, sacrificially give. Because our, our riches do not lie down here. But they lie in heaven. Look at Mark 12, 41. You know the, you know the story. Now Jesus, taking his disciples, sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. Can I say this? You want to go into a typical church and find out the condition of the people's hearts. You don't go to the pulpit. You don't go to the choir loft. You don't go to the baptismal pool. There's a lot of places you can go. We don't have one here, but maybe one day we might have one. I don't know. We'll baptize in a lake somewhere. 
We've done that. But if you want to go inside a typical church and gauge the hearts of the people, the best place to position yourself is opposite the treasury. He said, okay, I'm going to take this band of disciples who are following me and we're going to learn some things about the condition of people's hearts and we're going to learn some things about God's priority towards sacrificial giving. We're going to learn some things about proportionate giving and we're not going to find it at the pulpit. We're not going to find it even though it should be at the pulpit. We're not going to find it in the choir loft even though it should be in the choir loft. We're going to find it sitting opposite the treasury. He positions them there and many were rich and put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites which makes which make a quadrant. And so she so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. I'm going to say this to you. We talked about this when we were studying the treasury principle several months back in our homes. To me, the most amazing part of that narrative is the most benevolent, compassionate person who ever walked the face of this earth, who cares more about people than we could ever imagine. His care for us is infinite, so much so that he would lay down his life on Calvary to purchase us from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. That one who sacrificially gave everything he had on the cross of Calvary, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, the most amazing part of this story is, is he let her do it. You think about that for a minute. The Lord of glory. I could just see it. This frail woman comes up, probably with hands shaking from years of work and toil. The most, the most exploited and the most abused and the most vulnerable members of that society were widows and orphans. They had no advocate. This was before Social Security. None of that available to them. They were just at victims, really, to the whims of society and hopefully the benefactors of somebody who would come along to help them. And this poor widow woman goes up and the only one in that room who knew her situation intimately, the only one who would know. Now she didn't walk up there to the treasury and say, <clears throat> Attention! This is the last... Did you hear everybody? This is the last two pennies I have. It was, didn't call attention to herself. She came up there and, and just slipped in and put in all that she had. And the Lord of glory, who knew full well that was the last red cent that she had, could have gone over there and taken his gentle hand, which would one day have a nail scar in it for her, and say, sweetheart, just before, couldn't you just see it? Couldn't you just see him going over there? And just before she put it in the, in, in the thing, he'd go over there and stop her and say, sweetheart, I, I see your heart. I know your motive. I see it. You don't have to release that. Because I, I give you credit for it right now because I knew you meant to give it. But the Lord of glory himself stood right there and let her do it. The very one who knew her cupboard was empty. The very one who knew that she had no 40K to rely on. The very one that knew that she didn't have any savings to fall back on. The very one that knew that she was more than underwater in her mortgage. That she was probably homeless and helpless. And the very one who loved her enough to die for her and put her in the Bible. And her rewards are accruing even right now in heaven because we're studying this text. 
and the Lord of glory let her do it. Why did he let her do it? Why did he let her do it? He knows what's to come. He knows what's to come. It's, I don't even, I'm not even going to use your name to make, I'm not even going to call, let's say her name was Gladys. I'm not even going to call her Gladys because that'd mess up the reward. Let's just keep her name away from Scripture. Let's don't even taint it. Let's don't, let's don't make this impure in any fashion. Let's keep it as pure as we can get. And the rewards that are accruing from that woman, only time and eternity will tell. And they're not even going to be doled out until it's all over because people all over the world are studying this text and will study this text until the King of Glory steps down on Mount Olivet. And at that time, it's time to dole it out and say, Sweetheart, are you glad you gave? And that's the same attitude the Apostle Paul had toward this impoverished church. He said, I couldn't care less about the gift as far as it ministered to my need. God's going to take care of that. What I celebrate, what I celebrate is the level of consecration and surrender that must be true in your life. And what is accruing to your account, I cannot be anything but happy about. Isn't that awesome? God doesn't discourage sacrificial living. You hear the stories about the missionaries who come back on the boat. And one of them is on the front of the boat, on the back of the boat. I forgot who it was. Somebody have to remind me. And at the front of the boat, there was this big ticker tape parade to welcome, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt was on the boat. And he saw all the celebration going on. And he'd been serving the Lord for a lifetime. And he gets on the back of the boat and nobody sees him. And he just looks at the contrast between somebody who celebrated to have success on this end. And the Lord spoke to him and said, not yet, my son. Not yet. It's coming. Oh man, we should never, ever, ever discourage sacrificial living, sacrificial giving, and consecrated worship to our Lord in the form of a present presentation of our bodies as living sacrifices. Brian and I were talking about this at his house when we had our small group over there. He said, man, they'd be like, they'd be like discouraging somebody from, from emptying their savings to invest in what would become Walmart or Home Depot or Coca-Cola. And I got to thinking about that. And Andrew and I were having a discussion about this at Chick-fil-A the other day. I said, Andrew, let's suppose this. Let's suppose you save up $5,000. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for his dad. That might as well be $5 million. Let's just say you save up $5,000. You come to me and you're 21 years old. You just started out on your, on your own. You've been working for the last five or six years, toiling, saving, doing everything you can to invest and, and, and build a foundation for what one day you'll have a home. And you come to me, and let's just pretend like for a minute I know the future. Just pretend like that for a minute. I know how things are going to turn out. And you have raked and scraped and saved to no end and made sacrifice to save $5,000. And I know what the future holds for this little small startup company in Bentonville, Arkansas that starts there with a name, man named Sam Walton who starts it. And they come out and say, we're going to offer stock in Walmart. And you go, Wall what? But I know the future. And Andrew comes to me and I know what's going to happen with that company. And he says, Dad, what do you recommend? I said, son, take the 5000 and plow it into this stock. As a matter of fact, if you've got a Lego, you can sell. You know, or anything, anything that we've got of value, we're going to liquidate it 
and we're going to plow everything we've got into this stock because I'm telling you right now, there are big things ahead. Well, I looked it up on the internet just out of curiosity to see in real time what that would have meant. You invest $5,000 in the initial public offering of, of Walmart. Anybody care to guess what it would be worth today? $65 million. $65 million. Let's say you don't have but 100 That would be me and Andrew's scale. You want to be worth now? $1.3 million. You forego a couple of Legos, and we're there. At today's prices, maybe one Lego, and we're there. It multiplied 13,000 times over. If I'm God, and I know the future, and by the way, that's what makes you God. That's part of what makes you God. I do know the future. And I know how things are going to turn out. How, what's my disposition going to be toward your giving? Is it going to be that I'm a needy God and I'm, I'm insecure and I'm not quite sure how long these streets of gold are going to hold out? And somebody might come and take a block or two. And so therefore, I need your money. And so I'm going to encourage you to give because after all, I can't accomplish my will without you. And my brow is furrowed. Is your God that small? Is that what he's like? Because if that's your God, then he's not the one that's in here. But no, no, no. It's the Spirit of God within Paul that would say, I celebrate and commend not, not just giving. I celebrate and I commend sacrificial giving and sacrificial living. Because sacrificial living leads to sacrificial giving. And when the Apostle Paul commended this very church in 1 Corinthians, his commendation arose from this. They first gave themselves to the Lord. And then, when you first give yourself to the Lord, all the resources that are at your disposal comes with it. Amen? I don't know what this is going to mean for you and your family, but I can tell you this. We're going to go before the Lord and see what it means for mine. Because I can tell you that Walmart's going to come to an end. They they could be one or two poor decisions away from being Kmart. Or tastes and consumer preferences could change such that they're obsolete and outdated one day. I mean, there are any, a number of a billion things that happen, but I assure you of this, it's coming down. It's coming down. It won't be worth $65 million one day. But I can tell you this, when you invest in heaven sacrificially, because look at the commendation. The commendation came not from the amount of the gift, but the commendation came from the amount of the sacrifice. And we often give that which costs us little or nothing. The Apostle Paul said, I'm going to be content if I have food and clothing. We're going to be content if we have food and clothing and you just put the commas on the end and let it run out as far as you want it to run. This church was started, planted in September of 2006. September 3rd of 2006, we had our first meeting in somebody's yard. And it was a sunny day, thank the Lord. And since that time, we've seen God do some miraculous things. 100% of the support, 
of the church plant in Magori, Kenya comes out of this church. Um, the uh, we, we've, we've been involved in helping to uh, fund the entire annual shortfall of the Baptist Theological Seminary in um, Managua, Nicaragua. They had a $40,000 shortfall, and this church gave $40,000, and that met, that met their 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 uh, their uh, shortfall, their annual shortfall, and it was a sacrificial gift. We've had the Kellys, uh, 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 I mean the Fox family, um, the um, be sent out from here uh, uh, for this uh, past few months ago to serve in um, in Haiti where they were before, and God um, moved upon the hearts of the people to give sacrificially out of this fellowship. And I can tell you this, I will not be responsible for discouraging you from doing that. But I will be responsible for encouraging you to do that. I'll, I'll saddle that. I'll take that. And that's not because we're a needy church. It's because something's accruing. <laughs> and we know what's to come. We know what's to come. <laughs> we know what's to come. So, a couple of weeks ago, in the five-year history of this church, we received the widow's might. We received the widow's might. You see, there's a little young fella in this fellowship who's been saving real hard over the course of a long period of time his money. And I think he had gotten up to $94. Now, for a little fella, little child to save up, $94 is a lot of money. But to be honest with you, for me to save $94 has gotten to where that's a lot of money. And he came to a very wise father, a godly father that this child has. And he said, Dad, I think I'm going to give all of it to the church. And um, this little fellow I happen to know likes Legos. And that will buy you a nice Lego set. It will. It'll buy you a lot of other things too. And his dad was wise enough to say, now, oh, you know, you know, your first response is, now, wait a minute now, buddy. You know, let's pray through that. Now, let's... Seek the Lord about that, and you do what the God, you know, you do what God tells you to do. But he backed off just enough for him to wrestle with it, with his in his prayer time with the Lord. That was a wise thing to do. And um, he went to wrestling with him and God. And um, he said, he said, he, he throughout the week he got to thinking about what normally we would think about is what could be done with that ninety-four dollars, and now you might could parse it out and say, well, you know. I mean, it would be an obedient sacrifice to give 50, or it would be to give, you know, 20. I mean, that would be sacrificial if you're taking a look at it proportionate to the 94 that's there. And he went through all that with Jesus. Him and Jesus went through all that. His dad told me to call me up during the middle of the week and say, pray for him, because he's wrestling with this decision. I said, I will, and I did. And so that Sunday, um, he concluded that the Holy Spirit had led him to give it all. And he did. But on his envelope it says, God, no, I'm giving this because God is teaching me to be a joyful giver. So, that's the envelope that the widow's mite was in. That's the largest gift we've ever received in the five years that we've been a church. That's it right there. As far as I know. Now, we've received larger amounts than that. That's the largest gift we've ever received. 
And I'm going to tell you something. I prayed for that little fella. I don't have to ask God to bless him. I know God's going to bless him. But I said, God, just show out. You know, because I'm telling you right now, in heaven, there's no telling what's accruing. Because it was given out of pure heart, out of pure motives. Um, and I'm going to withhold his name just like the name was withheld in the scriptures because we want to mess up what's accruing for him right now. But I want you to know something. That causes me to go before the Lord, examine my heart, and see. What do you want to be a part of? You want to be a part of, you know, puny living, invest here, and um, see it accrue somewhat one day, but never go beyond impact in eternity? Or do we want to give sacrificially to impact eternity? This is not doesn't arise out of a need. I'm not making this appeal because we've got, we need to buy a building. We're not going to buy a building. They had an opportunity to buy a building. Owner financed. Zero percent interest. And if we'd have bought the building, we could have paid for the building and nothing else. They would have absorbed just about every bit of the cash flow of this church and we'd have had to leave our missionary in Kenya without support and we weren't about to do that. I want to travel light. I want to live like we're leaving. I want to invest in people rather than brick and mortar and see God do something through this fellowship where you just go, you know what? The only way that you could explain what happened in that fellowship and what is happening in that fellowship is God. That's it. I want to be a part of a church like that. I want my children to grow up and be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church where God has so gripped our hearts that we view sacrificial giving the way the Bible does and not as something to be avoided or to feel sorry for somebody who does it. But sacrificial giving and sacrificial living are celebrated here because we know and we have an eternal orientation that says, you know what? It's accruing. It's accruing. And one day we're going to lay it at the Savior's feet and praise Him for If you make $100,000 a year and you give 10000 that's not sacrificial. If you make $50,000 a year and give 10000 then we're moving into the sacrificial zone. Or maybe forty. And it's not to be, it's not to elevate us, it's to elevate Him. It's not to achieve His grace, it's because you've received His grace. It's not... To gain favor with God is because through His Son you have favor with God. It's not to score points in heaven, but it's to accrue things in heaven for God's glory to lay at His Son's feet one day. It's a celebration and act of worship. And we've been taught by a little fella who could have saved up $94 and bought a Lego toy and still be within God's will. Because I know he would have given the $9.04 that, um, yeah, that he would have given to the Lord as a tithe. But this little fella gave it. Because God is teaching him to be a joyful giver. That's as good as it gets. Amen? Oh, man. It's going to be hard to teach your children to be a joyful giver if you're not one. It's going to be hard to teach them the principles of uh, kingdom if you're not living in them. It's going to be hard. If you reduce this message down to the fact that we need money and we're raising money, I'm sorry, you missed, you missed the whole point. And I, I, I'm not sorry for the message, but I'm sorry you, you feel it that way because that says something about the condition of your own heart. But if you receive this as being an open-ended opportunity to say God's saying, <laughs> listen, the stock's going to go way up in value. And every penny and every cent that you can get your hands on, you need to plug into this because I've got a recommendation to you. And it's a guaranteed return of more than the Walmart stock will ever accrue to. And we celebrate your delight in doing so. Amen.